Welcome to the joy thrill ride of Story Story Night, where you hear true stories on a theme recorded live on stage and without notes. I'm your host, Jody Eichelberger. On this podcast, our feature storytellers summit the heights of storytelling in Hike, our final show in our action theme season held on April 25th, 2017 at Jump in downtown Boise. Here are our featured storytellers, Jeff Walker and Avery Schaller, plus a mini-musical titled Let's Take a Hike, based on the slam by Alicia Dodson earlier this season, performed and created by Lita Harris-Newstetter, J. Todd Dunnigan, Thomas Paul, and Veronica Von Tobel. It's time to take action. It's story time. Ladies and gentlemen, Jeff Walker. I'm really not an adventurous person, but I'm going to tell you a story of hike. And for me to be, take adventurous activities and go out and see things and do things, I'm the guy that sits at the front window looking out, wondering, should I go? Is it raining? Is it nice? I'm the guy that stands on the side of the pool and wonders, is the water cold? Should I jump in? I don't know what to do. But luckily, this story is a story of a 30-year friendship that was that person that would reach out and say, it's going to be OK. Jump in. You know, I'm going to give you permission to follow me, draft on my spirit, come with me, and let's go do something amazing. So where I'm not adventurous, I'm a lucky enough person to have found people and surround myself and found friendship that allows me to go take a hike. Not just a hike, but a hike up to places I couldn't have gone with myself, to explore myself, to get to new, new places and understand things I hadn't learned before. So to kind of start that stage, it kind of starts back in the 1980-somethings. And give you a sense of what that is, that was a time when I wore Sperry topsiders that were white with no socks. I had 501 jeans. I had a nice terry cloth shirt, had brown terry cloth big collars. My hair that I had was feathered. I could grow it back, just on the side. I didn't have the mullet yet. That came later. But at that time, you know, I was pretty radical. I listened to Foreigner, Jukebox. <laughs> Jukebox Hero was there, and I was like, yeah, I'm crazy. <laughs> and in that time, for some of you that may be a little bit younger, just give a sense of scale. This is a time before Nirvana, time before YouTube, a time when they used to play music on MTV. <laughs> so that was that time. And so in that time period, my parents enrolled me in Scouts. And it was within Scouts that I really met that person that pulled me from that guy on the edge of the pool and it took me from looking out the window saying, come outside, let's take the adventure. So to give you a sense, sense of where we were and how we began these hikes, it really started on a kind of a trip to Loon Lake with the Boy Scouts. So we'd line up, 12 of us, just had our dads on each side, and basically they were there to corral us and keep us on the trail. The 12 of us would just kind of look at our feet, shuffling along. All you'd really be doing is watching that person ahead of you in these little puffs of dirt, talcum-powdered dirt, really not thinking where you're going, what's going on. You have five miles to make it there. Once you get there, you're going to work on some merit badges. And that was what a hike was. It was a death march. <laughs> it was one of those things where it's like you were told you're going to get a sash with something on it if you just made this hike, something memorable like that. Except there's this one guy in the back with a butterfly net. And so we're walking five miles. And this guy's walking like six, because he'd see a butterfly. And he'd run over, he'd grab it, come back, he'd go along run over and grab it, come back, putting them into jars. For all of us that were staring at the feet in front of us, this was the one guy that didn't stare at the feet. 
He was looking off trail. He was looking to the left. He was looking to the right. He was looking for the beauty that was around him. He was capturing it. He was grabbing it. He was going to take advantage of, I don't know what to do with the butterflies. Maybe he took them to the fair. Maybe put them on his wall. Maybe something creepy. But he was grabbing them, and we're just like, who is that guy? What does he see? And so I got tired of looking at the feet, and I started to look up. And there's beauty all around. It was just one of those things where you just on your hike, you're just thinking, I have to make it. I got to go. But when you stop and you look and you watch the guy with the butterfly net, you're thinking, okay, who's this person? Where can I go with this person? How can I draft off this person's spirit? So I made a lifelong friend there. His name was Ken. Ken began to take me on adventures through scouts. He was kind of, kind of like, um, uh, let's see, I think there's a, I'm going to mess this one up. So Shakespeare kind of had that one little phrase, though she but little, she be fierce. And that was Ken. He was a tiny guy, but he had these Eric Heiden-like thighs that could basically climb whatever he wanted as fast as he wanted. He'd take the lead on all the hikes. He could go off trail across logs, scamper around. He was always kind of saying, let's go, let's go, let's go. Follow me, I know which way. Never a hesitation. He had a plan, he knew how to act on it, and through intuition he knew it was gonna be fine. And so as we followed him around from hikes, the stories grew, the adventures grew. Later on, as we transitioned from scouts into going to college, we continued those adventures. Those adventures would be things like, in the summer times, I'd call him and say, I got a hike, I know what I want to do. And he'd say, I trust you, let's go. So through college, all the way through graduate school, each summer, sometimes the wintertime, would take these hikes. And just to name off a few, and this is the audience participation part that we'll see if it works or not. If you've been there, if you've been on these hikes, let me know. So I'm going to rattle a few off. Just give me a yelp, give me a whoop if you've been there, because we've shared that experience together of going through this. So there was Black Mirror Lake, Trail Creek Lake. There was uh, Sawtooth Lake. All right. There was a Box Lake, Sheep Lake, Goat Lake. All right. Lakes named after barnyard animals, anybody? Okay. There was also hikes, too, in addition to going to the lakes that would go to Banner Ridge in the wintertime on cross-country skis. We would go to things like the Columbia Gorge with our sailboards, take a hike down inside and do our sailboarding. So there's things like that. And of course, the classic one that everybody has to do if you're in Idahoan, Mount Bora. So we've all been there. We've had those long days. We've had the chafing. We've had the sweat running into our eyes, this mix of sunscreen, bug spray, and it stings incredibly bad. And you think it's like, you know, in the movies, they just pour water in your head. It feels good. It doesn't. It stings. All that runs in your eyes, and you're blind for a few minutes. So we've had those experiences and had those experiences with Ken, and they bonded us. And so as we, as we went through college, we had very little money, just enough time to do something, and those were the adventures we had. So I just listed off 12 basic ones of our library. But then it came around to about 1991. That was when we were kind of in that transition point. I was getting done with college, on to graduate school. In fact, that was my uh, summer before my last year of graduate school. So we said, okay, we're going to do one, one more hike. We don't know what next year is going to be, what career we're going to have, where we're going to go, how we're going to split up. So let's do one more. We decided to go to the Seven Devils. If you've ever been there, I'll try to set the stage what it is. Exactly. Whoop. Thank you. And you really head towards Riggins. When you head towards Riggins, you go west, kind of just right before town, and you have these line of peaks. And these line of peaks is really a dividing line between Idaho and Oregon with the sheer drop 
of the Hell's Canyon, the largest canyon, the deepest canyon in North America. So we said, okay, let's, let's go there, we'll park, and we'll take that five-hour hike around from the east base to the west base. We'll, dump, we'll take a look over the canyon, we'll come back, we'll fly fish, we'll go to three or four different lakes as much as we can that weekend. So we did that. We fly fished, we looked, we ran, we scrambled, we were exhausted, but we were happy. And at night, what we'd do is we'd sit around the campfire, whichever lake would land on, and then we'd have the highest octane alcohol we could carry. <laughs> alcohol is heavy. You, no bottles of wine, no, no, no boat of bags of anything. I mean, it's, it's a long trek. And so you basically bring along things that you don't do today, which is you have grain alcohol from Montana, Everclear. You have uh, Bacardi 151. And you have Hawaiian punch mix. <laughs> so you take, you, so in the Seven Devils, you usually have these kind of uh, snow-fed creeks coming down right in there. So we're just grabbing snow, we're melting snow, we're getting these cocktails going. Conversation around the class uh, campfire is basically what, what a 20-something thinks about, which is, okay, am I going to have enough money to pay off my student loans when we get done with this? It's kind of like around, yeah. Okay, we're hiking a lot. Are we ever going to hook up with anybody in the summertime? We're just going to hike with each other. <laughs> and then, then finally, it was, it was one of those words. It's like, okay, who can make the worst tasting drink and, and get somebody to drink it? And so that was really it. It was like very simple. It's like a little bit of money, maybe action someday. And okay, let's just get trashed on this worst tasting alcohol ever. <laughs> and, that was, and then after that, we split our ways. Ken went to Utah, Ken went on to Tri-Cities. I went to Boise, Connecticut, back to Boise. Over the 20 years, I was able to connect with some of my hiking buddies. Um, my buddy Mike did a few hikes, weeks, but there was never as far, never as off trail, never as adventurous. We never really ran up hills. We saw things, but there's, there's that spirit that was missing. There was that Iceman to Maverick that was missing. There was, that, there was that drafting off that spirit and being that wingman of the person who's just like, I will follow that guy anywhere because he knows what he's doing, I trust him. It's weird, but I trust him. So then as the years pass, finally 20 years rolls around, we're saying, okay, my, my collaborator Mike said, let's, let's see if we can get a hold of Ken. Let's do another hike and see where we are. So email, uh, Facebook, uh, text messaging, uh, phone calls, uh, you know, whatever, whatever we could find, we finally tracked him down. We said, okay, let's set up another hike. Let's set up a 20-year reunion hike. So we say, let's, let's set up for the Seven Devils. We'll meet you in Riggins. So we drove from the Seven Devils, we drove from Riggins as a group up to the base camp there, up to the trailhead. So Ken, of course, being him, says, I looked at the maps and they're wrong. What you can do is if we just shoot up out of the parking lot through this, through the V right there, we're going to cross this kind of kind of area, and then we'll drop down the sheer trail and we'll cut off five hours of hiking. It'll be great. It'll be great. Trust me. We did. And it worked. And it worked. And that was what it was. It worked. So we got to camp. We set it up. I ended up fly, hiking around and fly fishing a couple different lakes, shooting some wildlife photography of mountain goats. Um, there are cougars in the area, but they're not as dangerous as the cougars out of Eagle, Bardenay. Um, and, and so... So after they got done hiking he and she Devil Peaks, we came back to camp that night. The conversation was not the same. We didn't have alcohol because we were drinking Gatorade and water and we were trying to hydrate and we were trying to avoid cramps and we were rubbing, we got these sticks, they rub along your leg and you're just like, oh my God. 
So no high octane alcohol. The conversation was slightly different. It was like, okay, how old are your parents? Are they still alive? How are they doing? Okay, do you have to take care of them? All right. So what surgery did you have recently? Oh, that's, oh yeah, me too. Oh, I've got this irritable bowel. Do you have any probiotics? So very different, very different. But it's still 20 years have passed, maybe a kidney stone or two. But we are still very, very much the same. And so we, so we went away from that hike. And we all kind of felt kind of that circle comes back. Is like, okay, we had our adventure. That was good. Then, again, then about uh, three months later, I get, a, get an email from his wife. And they said, Ken's in town. You should go visit him. And I, so I did. And um, she said, but he's not doing well. He's, he's, uh, he's got some issues going on. He's got some depression things. I want to visit with him. So I meet him over at Java on 6. We sit down with a bowl of soul. I'm about a week away from taking a taking a hike out to Hawaii for my honeymoon. So we start to talk about life, experience, kind of the anxiety that comes with a certain time in your life when you're trying to figure out what you're gonna do, what your next steps are. We have a really good conversation. I kind of pass back and forth pictures of the photographs of the different wildlife that I, I took while we're there. And during the conversation, we talked about the future. Let's go on a couple ski vacations, maybe go take a hike here. We agreed to it. And so on the way out the door, I kind of looked over my shoulder and I waved to him and he says, okay, see you in two weeks, don't do anything stupid. Went on my vacation, went on my honeymoon. On the honeymoon, I got the call. No more hikes with Ken. They were done. During that time, as in my honeymoon, he decided to take one last hike. He took a hike up in the foothills here. Decided he wouldn't come back. Decided he was done and took his own life. So here I am, I come back, there's no funeral, his parents are cremated, decided that they weren't going to have a time for me or his friends to sit down and really express to, to his family, to his friends, here's a person that took me, here's a person that I drafted off, here's a person that took the spirit, pushed me to places I couldn't go, wasn't sure if I could do, and he's the one that really brought me up on these hikes. He pulled me up, he lifted me up, and took me on a hike up. So from there, they said, well, here are some of his ashes. Go take a hike with Ken. Go find a place of adventure. Go place these ashes where he would be, that's a Ken-worthy hike. Go find a Ken-worthy hike. It's like, so I look at him, Ziploc bag, name Ken written on it, classic. Easy to transport, easy to hike with, which is nice. Remember, whatever you take in, you gotta take out. So, so as, we're, as I'm sitting there, I'm like, well, what do I do? Where, I didn't know. I mean, a person that makes all the decisions, a person that you draft off, a person that was the one that carried you, now it's your turn to carry them. I didn't know what to do. But lucky enough, I had a buddy named James. James was putting together a road trip and a ski vacation in Aspen, Colorado. And there's a place in Aspen, Colorado called the Highlands. In the Highlands, they have this run that's called the Bowl. And so James is telling me about it. And I go, okay, tell me about this. What do you want to do? He's like, well, okay. First, you get on a chairlift. I'm like, yeah, okay. Then for the chairlift, you get on a snowcat. Oh, all right. Then the snowcat drops you off at a trailhead. On that trailhead, you have a 30-minute hike to the top. You're, right, you're kind of walking along this kind of knife edge, drop to the left, drop to the right, just a little bit of trail. And there's warning saying, if you fall, ski patrol won't be there for about an hour to two hours. You're on your own. I'm like, oh. I think I like that. I think that's a Kenworthy hike. I think we should do that. So 
we pack up our bags, we agree that's, that's, that's gonna be worth it. To go to 14,000 feet, drop into a bowl, 2,500 feet down, 45 degree pitches, we'll do it. So we go to road trip. James gets a Suburban. We load it up with a Steve and Rod, myself, a little baggie of Ken, because when you're going to Colorado, you want to take a baggie with you. <laughs> so, so we get to Colorado. We have a nice time at the bars. I got some really good pictures of the bag next to some bottle shots and shot glasses. So I want to send them back to his friends and family and say, see, Ken's having a great time. And as we go through there, the next day, we all get together. We take the, take the chairlift, take the snowcat, load the skis up, get the poles ready to go, get our boots, and we're going. And it's hard. The air is thin, your head's banging from the hangover, and you got the locals that are passing you going, dude, what's wrong? I don't know, I got two people. It's just me and this other guy. <laughs> so we get to the top. We decide we're gonna go down and hit to the tree line. So we, we dive in. Amazing powder. I really have never skied powder like before, and, and I probably never will again. And I was following some of the most amazing skiers, and my buddies were just there for me all the way. So they get me down to the tree line. We we're going to do the ceremony. I get my baggie out, baggie with Ken, and I put my hand inside, and I'm getting ready to say something and throw the ashes. And I realize, and I didn't know this, it's not ash. It's a very tactile, sharp, shreds, shards of bone and other pieces. And you sit there and you start to roll around what you're thinking is just going to be a simple ceremony. And all of a sudden, you have this feeling that this is the place you're going to leave this body. This is the last place you're going to see his, your friend's body. You're going to deposit it there and from that point on, that's where he'll lay. And you just sit there for a minute and you're just rolling around pieces of them that just is an unexpected feeling because it's like, well, it's just ash, it's fluffy, it's going to go up. Through that tactile experience, it changes you a little bit to realize, and it hits you, this is the end, this is it. But it was a Kenworthy hike and a Kenworthy descent, and I was proud to do it for him. So after I left those ashes on the side, we completed it, went back to Boise. The thing is, what's next? And it was very liberating to know that in many ways, his body was on the mountain, but I get to carry on his spirit, his spirit of hike, his spirit of venture. And now it's my responsibility to my friends, whether it's to Alice Lake on the Toxaway Loop, I know, you gotta do it, or whether it's Sawtooth Lake with my daughter, to get, them, to get your daughter and your friends to not just look at the trail in front, to not follow their feet, but to look up, look off trail, see the beauty around them, really realize that there's more out there. Give them the permission to go chase their butterflies. Give them the permission to jump in the pool. Encourage them to come forward. And for me, that's the story of hike. Please, go out and find your Kenworthy hike for me. Thank you. Please welcome Avery Schaller. Standing at a crossroads, and I need to make a decision. Do I go left and take the more traveled, safe route? Or do I go right and take the more adventurous, fun route? It's about 11 a.m., and I'm at the base of the Devil's Bedstead in the Pioneer Mountains. Now, there's a reason this mountain is called the Devil's Bedstead. 
It's one of the more intimidating and gnarly peaks in central Idaho. It's Labor Day and I decide that I want to do a solo ascent of the bedstead, which is not out of the ordinary for me. I go on solo adventures a lot and have climbed many peaks by myself. Um, it's, I am prepared and I've had texted my friends that morning letting them know where I was going and when I planned on being back. I also packed everything I needed. I had with me extra layers, plenty of water, snacks, my lunch, um, my first aid kit, my emergency blanket, and my emergency satellite beacon. I felt prepared and I had a good feeling about the route on the right, the fun route, so I decided to go for it. I start climbing and there's a little bit of snow on the rocks, but it's starting to melt and the rock scrambling is pretty easy. I, I, after about an hour, I notice that the snow is starting to melt and it's refreezing as ice. And it's getting really slippery and dangerous. And I realize this is no longer fun. I don't want to be here anymore. I don't care about reaching the summit. I just want to get down safely and go home. So I start to try to climb down and find that it is much steeper going down than going up, which is a classic problem. Um, and at one point when I'm climbing down, I slip and I fall and I cut, cut open my shin. And I know that going down the way I came up is no longer an option. It's too dangerous. So I look around and I see a ledge on a different aspect and it's getting direct sunlight. So I figure it might be dry. So I pull myself up onto this ledge and relieved to find it's dry and it's flat. I walk around the ledge to see if there's any way to get down, maybe on the other side. And I just find sheer drop-offs of hundreds of feet. So there's no way I'm getting down. And I realize I'm kind of stuck up here. It's about one o'clock and I'm getting hungry so I eat my lunch. And while I'm eating, I just try to calm my nerves and figure out what am I gonna do next. I pull out my cell phone and see if I can get any service. I walk around the ledge and no bars. Not that surprising. And then I pull out my emergency satellite beacon and I look down on it and I kind of hesitate because it's kind of a big deal to use one of these things. The whole rescue team would come for me and I was a little embarrassed because I got myself stuck up here. But I also didn't have any other options. So I decided I was gonna activate it. And on this particular device, you have to hold down the SOS button for 20 seconds in order for the signal to get out. And so I start to press the button and a countdown begins on the screen. One, two, three, and the device shuts off. And I try to turn it back on, but the battery is dead. Okay, now, now I'm scared, um, I've run out of options, and out of desperation, I start to yell for help. Um, there's a trail kind of down near where I am going to Cane Lake, and I think that maybe somebody might hear me, but it's pointless, I'm wasting my energy. So I start to yell other things, which I'm not allowed to repeat here, <laughs> because I'm so mad at myself. I know better th than this, I'm an experienced hiker, I know not to get myself in situations like this. And so I'm sitting there thinking, it's gonna be a 
couple hours before my friends realize I'm missing. And then even more time to get a backcountry rescue team up here. And they're probably not going to find me tonight. And it's probably going to drop below freezing again. And there's a good chance that if I stay here, I might die from exposure. So I take out my maps and I look to see what are their options. And I notice that there's a spot above me, above the sledge, that's not as steep, and I can traverse over to the safe route that I could have taken. Um, and I look up above the ledge and I see that there's this kind of rocky scramble that I have to do in order to get to this section. And I think I can do it. I think that this is a better choice than sitting here and waiting and possibly dying here. And so I start to climb. And it's nice and dry, and I'm feeling confident. I get a rush of adrenaline as I know that I'm climbing potentially to save my life. And I'm climbing steadily and surely. I get about 60 feet up, and I'm almost where I need to be. And I look for the next hold, and I see a rock sticking out. And I grab onto it, and I feel it come loose. And I feel myself falling backwards, and everything goes black. The first thing I notice when I wake up is that I can't see out of my left eye. I reach for it with my left hand and see that my arm is broken and bent at a weird angle and I can't use it. So I reach for it with my other hand and pull away and there's blood everywhere. And then I look down and I see I have a giant gash on my thigh and a giant gash on my knee and I'm seeing layers of skin that I should not be seeing and blood is coming out fast. And I look behind me and I see a blood trail from where I landed and rolled to where I was. And notice I'm getting sharp pains on my side when I turn. So I grab my backpack and I need to stop the bleeding. So I grab my first aid kit and I start wrapping myself up. And then I notice that I'm really, really cold. I don't know how long I was out. So I put on all my layers and I put myself in my emergency blanket and wrap myself up. And I'm shivering, and I'm in a lot of pain. And at this point, I know that I'm probably going to die here. I've run out of options. There's nothing I can do now. And it's kind of funny the things I start to think about when I know I'm about to die. I think of silly things like, I wonder what picture they'll use of me in the news. <laughs> or, what songs are they going to play at my funeral? But, also serious things like, this is so selfish of me. I'm going to probably fall asleep and die here soon, only after a couple hours of terror. But my family and friends, they were going to have to live with this for the rest of their lives, just because I chose the fun route. And, and then I also started thinking that I'm not ready for this. Of course I'm not ready for this. I'm 25 years old. And I still have so much left to do on this earth. And I feel myself falling asleep. And I know it won't be long. And then suddenly, I hear a loud, familiar squeak. And I look in front of me, and standing on a rock is a pika. And pikas are these rabbit-like creatures that live in high alpine rocky environments. And they are super loud. They're like nature's little alarm clock. And this pika is yelling at me, and, I, and I, I know that he's probably thinking, like, stop bleeding all over my home. 
But to me, I took it as a sign that, okay, I need to stay alert and awake just a little longer. I gotta fight this tiredness. And so I kind of readjust myself and I grab my backpack to put it behind me and I notice my phone in my side pocket. And I know it's pointless to try to call out. I looked for service all along this ledge and even this exact same spot and not a single bar. And then I think about recording a goodbye video and telling my family, my friends that I'm sorry and that I love them very much. And I realize that there's not much battery and I have to decide. Do I want to provide closure to my family and friends or do I want to try calling out, which is pointless, but hey. So I try calling 911 and I dial and nothing. And then I dial again and still nothing. And I dial 13 more times. And on the 14th attempt, I hear a ringtone and then I hear a voice. At least, I think I hear a voice. Actually, I hit my head really hard, and the voice is asking me where I am. And I, actually, I don't know where I am. How did I get here? I'm so confused. And I think they say help is coming, but I'm not sure. And I look down, and my phone is dead. Did I just imagine all that? Because I, I really want to get rescued, and I don't want to die, and I just projected that into my mind. But I don't know, I'm so confused, I can't check my call log. And I feel tired again, but the pika is still yelling at me. And am I, maybe I'm imagining this pika. And an hour passes, I think, I don't know. And I know at this point, I definitely imagined all that. There's no way help is coming. Nobody knows where I am, I am all alone up here. And I know, I mean, I guess this is what dying feels like. You start to go crazy and I know it's gonna be over soon. And then I hear a loud noise, and I look above me, and I see a helicopter, and I'm definitely not imagining it. Um, and for the first time since I got in trouble on this hike, I start to cry because I know I'm gonna make it. I get to live. And I see a man being lowered down on a cable, and then he's next to me, and he puts me in the sling and he clips me in and we both get pulled back, back into the helicopter. And the next several hours are a blur. Two Bear Air is the, out of Kalispell, Montana. They're the team that found me. And they took me to St. Luke's and Ketchum. And then I was transported to St. Al's here in Boise. And I learned that I'd broken six bones, my radius, three ribs, my kneecap, and my eye socket. And I also learned that the rescue team had told the doctors that when they found me, I was severely hypothermic. And if I'd been out there another hour, I wouldn't have made it. I also learned that they happened to be finishing up a rescue 60 miles away and were able to get to me quickly. And that they also are one of the few rescue teams in the, nations, in the nation with a helicopter equipped with a special cable that can lift people up into it. Any other helicopter definitely would not have been able to land where I was. So, I mean, all these factors came together to make sure that I was rescued. I really should not be alive today. It's been about eight months since that accident and pretty much fully recovered. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've had a lot of time to think about it. And for a while, I was really angry with myself. 
like, how did I get myself in that situation? I know better. I'm a safe person, right? But I, I also realized that a lot of us take risk in the backcountry, and for the most part, we come out unharmed. Um, and you know, it's, it's these close calls that kind of make these adventures fun. You gotta scare yourself a little bit, but not too much. Um, and you know, sometimes people get unlucky, and it's nice to be reminded that we are not invincible. People ask me if, I, if this experience has changed me, and in a way it hasn't, in a way it has. I'm still the same person, only now with a couple more badass scars. And I plan on still getting out there and keep adventuring. I mean, I already have started doing that. But in a way, it has changed me. If anything, I'm a more appreciative and determined person. I also know that the next time I come to a crossroads and I have to decide between the more traveled safe route or the more adventurous fun route, I'm just gonna stop and think, and think about not only how it'll affect me, but how this might affect my family and friends. Whether we want it to or not, our decisions can have a bigger effect and affect other people besides ourselves. And sometimes the risk is worth taking. Sometimes you end up on an epic adventure and you have unforgettable stories to tell. But sometimes it's not worth taking. And figuring out that balance is what makes life challenging and exciting. Uh, we at Story Story Night, when, when I was interviewing Avery, one of the things she said is she really wanted to see the guy who came down on that wench from the helicopter and scooped her from the rocks. So we have live with us right now from Kalispell, Montana, Dick Sign. Dick, can you hear us? I can. All right. How's it going? <laughs> it's going fine. You, Did, you, look, you look a little different than the first time I saw you. Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> Who's that? That would be my golden retriever. <laughs> well. So you haven't seen him since he scooped you off the rocks, no. is that right? <laughs> yeah. So Dick, tell us a little bit about this story from your perspective. How did you get the call? What did you see when you arrived? Well, we were over outside of uh, the Ledor area on another search. <clears throat> and uh, when we got the call to go see if we could find Avery. And fortunately, we uh, our helicopter does about 170 miles an hour. It's a pretty fast ship, so we were able to be there in just a few minutes, and we did spot her quickly, and uh, we were able to get her out of a bad place. Well, thank you for doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know what to say. <laughs> you, uh, you had told me that you had been a place near there. Uh, I can't remember if it was a little bit before this one or a little bit after the same location. It had been a few months before we had been to the same location for an unfortunate uh, young man that fell very close to where you did and had expired. So this was a, was, a very, was a very happy occasion for us because we were almost expecting to find the same thing. And to see you alive down there I think was as much uh, a joy for our crew as it was for you. 
And to bear air, uh, what I didn't know until you told me is that you are a volunteer. You do this as, and your team all do this as a volunteer, right? That's, that's correct. You had, uh, you've written him, this is a little surreal, isn't yeah, it? Yes. Bizarre with everybody here. <laughs> <You know. laughs> yeah, but I'd, I'd been in contact through Facebook, but um, talking to you guys is, is much better, face to face like this. <laughs> well, we asked Jump if they could install a helipad for you to land on, but apparently there is a limit to the money. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us tonight, Dick, and thank you for all the work you do and all the lives you save at Two Bear Air, including this special one right here. Thank you. Good night, folks. Now, if you were here for our first show this season of Jump, Alicia Dodson was a, was a slammer just like our slammer who just left us. Uh, hey, hey, I haven't seen you since Jump. I know. I was here, like, in November. Wow. A long time. Yeah, so <laughs> how many times have your words been turned into a musical? Never. <laughs> oh, really? Except maybe in my mind, I don't know. Oh, <laughs> all I've right. been wondering how this one was gonna turn out. <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering too. We're gonna see it together. So remind us again just the basic outline. You put an ad in the paper or something? So I posted an online dating profile to meet somebody and part of it was meet someone to go on adventures with. And so then I met somebody on that dating site and we started doing things together. But they were really adventurous and outdoorsy and did some cool stuff and I'm like, I need to be more adventurous too. I need to find something to impress them. And I decided to skydiving was the thing to do. All right. But I really didn't want to. And by taking that adventure, you're now on a new adventure, having your story turned into a musical. So at this time, I'm going to invite uh, one of the creators and performers of Let's Take a Hike, Lita Harris Neustetter. So um, who here listens to This American Life? Yay! So did any of you hear the musical one that they did about three-ish years ago where they it was a fully staged one that they did. They just did basically what we're doing. They took a couple stories from previous shows and turned them into little mini musicals. And I just thought it was magical. I thought it was such a cool idea. And so ever since then, I've been trying to figure out how I could do this concept of take somebody's pre-existing story and turn it into a musical and who wants to do it and where could we perform it and all those things and finally the pieces came together. So this is our first debut of our Turn a Story into a Musical. And uh, with that, I bring you Let's Go for a Hike. So, it starts out with looking for someone to have adventures with. At least that's what my Plenty of fish profile said. Online dating, hooray. Online dating is scary enough. Meeting people in real life, and if that isn't bad, talking to people on the internet is pretty bad too. So 
so I met somebody online and uh, we started having small adventures around Boise, hiking or going to the Bruno sand dunes, things like that. I had to maintain an adventuresome persona, adventuresome persona, thinking of more things to do like paddle boarding and laser tag, painting mugs at Ceramica, disco bowling and tutu runs and riding the bull at the cowboy bar. Cause you can't let them know that sometimes you sit at home all day in your pajamas, eating ice cream and binge watching Monk. So about a month in, we had already a pretty, pretty epic adventure, a road trip to the California Redwoods. And that can, that can either turn out really well or really bad. And you, you don't really know the person and you're in a car for like six hours and... The first thing that you have to do is stop off at a gas station and load up on road trip snacks and look, he likes red vines too. And is it too soon for matching hats? That would be a perfect selfie. <laughs> oh no, don't scare him off. There's plenty of time for that. So you're driving down the freeway and you take turns choosing music. He teases you about your songs, but then he winks and sings along. You talk about your families, your childhood memories, and all the things you dream about, what you're afraid of. And then the talking stops and you watch the world go by. It turned out really well. That's a story for another time. But I totaled his truck on the way home. <laughs> and so I kept trying to think of adventures, trying to think of things to do. And I'm kind of like the person that I look for symbolism in things. And I'm like, OK. My birthday is coming up in December, and this is September. And I'm like, I need to think of something, you know, meaningful for my 32nd birthday. <laughs> something scary and adventuresome. I need to impress somebody that rock climbs and kayaks and mountain bikes, and I am not nearly so adventuresome sometimes. So I decided, let's go skydiving. I should have known that they were going to say yes uh, because they already agreed to going on a road trip with me and they didn't even know me. Uh, so they agreed and I'm like, ah crap, I can't back out now. I figured I'd procrastinate a while, and then he reminded me, and he was like, Hey, did you procrastinate? And I'm like, oh, man. So I call him and make the appointment, and we're driving out to Caldwell, and I'm thinking, You can't back out. You can't back out. You can't back out. 
okay? I can still back out. So I'm like, hey, if you want to back out, it's all right. I won't mind. I mean, it's okay. And he's like, hey, we're not backing out. And I'm like, oh, man. So you get there and you sign a bigger stack of papers and you sign for a home loan. Long story short, no matter what happens, you can't sue them. And then you watch a video and I need to barf. So I go barf. He's like, did you barf? And I'm like, yeah, you know, getting it out of the way. <laughs> so you meet your instructors and they're all these young guys and they've done this a million times. They're not scared at all. They're making jokes. And I'm like, this is horrible. Hey, you having a good time? Uh, oh yeah, real good time. Thank you, this is great. <laughs> Excited? Oh yeah, real excited. This is great. And then they attach it to a guy because you're tandem jumping and you actually have to do this. I can't back now and you're sitting really close to someone you don't even know that you're trying to impress and then you, you sit on their lap and they're tightening the harness and you're like, oh no, I can't back out. I don't trust this harness. I really don't, but it is what it is. And then you get as high as you're going to go and then there's no trap door and you can't sit back and now there's no waiting. There's no looking. There's no second guess. And people are jumping out and they're like, poof, and then they're gone. And then you're like, oh, ask me again. I don't want to do this. But you have to sit, you look back, you jump out, they push, and then there's nothing you can do about it. We survived. <laughs> we get to the bottom. And like I said, they're filming the whole thing. There's a video, although I, I've never watched it, and there's pictures, and they show you the pictures trying to get you to buy them, and, and the only reason why we, we did was because they've got this really good picture of them like looking up at the plane, and there's like a guy coming out, and I look at mine, and there's about like 180 pictures of just me like looking like this and just very, very unhappy and super unflattering. And, and my face is, you know, like all pressed back. I have a CD of just those now. And then, you know, they actually made me a card that, set, that shows one, you know, one of those unflattering photos with the caption, best birthday ever. <laughs> my picture, really sad. And then the grumpy cat meme from the internet. And if you're familiar with that, that's what I look like. <laughs> so it's true. <laughs> I was looking for someone to have adventures with, but you know, maybe next time, let's just go for a hike. Let's go for a hike. Let's go for a hike. There's plenty of adventure to be found when you go for a hike. 
You might see a rattlesnake if you go for a hike. You might get chased by a mountain lion if you go for a hike. You might get bit by a mosquito with West Nile. In fact, there's a lot of things that could happen. In fact, maybe it would just be better if we stayed home and binge watched Mom. Thank you for listening. Story Story Night is brought to you by our story party, Amy Moran, Karis Kimball, Hannah Mae Schaefer, Karen Moore, Bob Haycock, and me, Jody Eichelberger, with big-time support from the Robert Rauschenberg Foundation. This project is supported by public funding for the arts through the Idaho Commission on the Arts, the Idaho Legislature, and the National Endowment for the Arts. We also receive support from the Boise Arts and History Department. Thank you to our media sponsor, Radio Boise, our season sponsor, Lunchbox Wax, and the Hike Show sponsor, Pure Bar. Podcast production is by Stephen Baldessare. Our theme song was composed by Dan Costello. Our musical guests were Lita Harris Newstetter, Thomas Paul, and J. Todd Dunnigan. Show photography is by Paul Budge. Shout out to our marketing guru and co-founder, Jessica Holmes. Support the storied program, get tickets to our live show, and stay tuned at www.storystorynight.org or on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Story Story Night. <laughs>